Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to the podcast. Father John. Father Nathan. Hello. And uh, here we are. Here we are in the basement of Schloss Goebbels, getting ready for another um, podcast of Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Uh, A chilly evening. But uh, we're a little bit, uh, a little bit fatigued, we could say. I, uh, you're you're fresh off the Holy Land trip. Yep, great time. But uh, as we were just talking about, uh, pilgrimages are not necessarily they're not vacations. They're not vacations. Well, right now, nice. it is six a.m. in Jerusalem. Right, right. So I'm a little still feeling it, but uh, we're ready to go. Um, I have. Uh, Certainly been uh, excited this last week. I usually don't get excited to go to um, my mailbox at the parish. However, at uh, a certain point during the week, I go to my mailbox, and there is a um, a box uh, from Priority Mail that says... Uh, Jazz Loon Fan Club, care of Catholic stuff you should know, now and then talking. the church's address. So I'm in my I'm in my our mail room, and I go, "What? Are you serious?" And so I rip open the box, and sure enough, there's a brand new CD of Jazz Loon, not this one that you're looking at, but similar, uh, still in the original package. Excellent, Jazz Loon, um, and so it says the only thing on the packaging slip it says purchased by. Eric. 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 That's it. That's it. So I decide to call Hoot Owl Productions. Oh. Hoot Owl Productions. Because mm-hmm. if you go on um, Amazon and you try to purchase a new CD, you will find uh, Hoot Owl Productions selling the new CD for uh, $24.99. I, get, I, I call the number. And I get a hold. It's a slight, slightly higher than the one cent that. Um, True. Kyle Tantil paid. Yeah, he purchased. Yeah. Spin. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so uh, I leave a message. I just say hi. It's Father Nathan from Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Just trying to get a hold of whoever is uh, in charge of shipping from your company. All of a sudden, hello. I'm like, uh, hi. This is uh, Father Nathan from Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Oh, hi. Um, Sorry, uh, you know, I was away from the phone. I didn't hear your message. Strike up a conversation with this person. As it turns out, I'm pretty sure that the person's name is, uh, oh, rats, produced by Robert Baldwin. You were talking to Robert? I was talking to Robert Baldwin's wife. (laughs) They're up in Manaqua, Wisconsin, okay, okay, up near Manaqua. Uh-huh. She she explained what lakes. She goes, we're up near the lakes in Wisconsin. I'm like, isn't that everywhere? Yeah. Anyways, so... Apparently uh, more lakes in Wisconsin than in uh, Minnesota. Is that true? That's what they say. That's what they say. Well, that's some say. Anyways, so um, I, I think her name was Roberta or whatever. Anyways, she says, uh, my husband was the one who recorded all of the loon sounds from Jazz Loon. Now we're talking... He was the professional recorder of all of the loon sounds, and she was the one who was uh, paddling the canoe with the microphone. Incredible. And, like, she was paddling, and apparently she kept hitting the side of the boat and, like, making sounds, and he's like, quiet, 
we're trying to get this on CD <laughs> or whatever. So, anyways, bad news, folks. Okay, North Sound, North Sound went out of business. Ooh. Hard to believe with a quality CD like Jazz Loon. They owed Robert Baldwin a lot of money, and they instead of settling his royalties, they gave him all of the uh, merchandise that was on the shelves. So right now, within Hoot Owl Productions, they have all of the CDs available for purchase. So if you yourself are looking for a new CD, somebody on your Christmas list, and you want a pristine copy of Jazz Loon, they've got it. You know, there are many who wrote in um, after that podcast two weeks ago. Um, you know, things changed. You know, life changed after listening That's to that. That's true. I mean, it was like, it's kind of a before and after, one of these definitive moments in life. You know, you hear Jazz Loon and just things change. Life I would say, I would say Eye of the Tiger, you know, um, you know, journey faithfully. Like there are certain songs that like, you know, bridge markers in your life. And um, Jazz Loon is one of them. I would say uh, the the first one. I've listened now to the whole CD. I've gotten a lot of work done listening right. to Jazz Loon. Number one, Sundancer. Amazing. It's the best. It is it is the best. The other ones have very catchy titles. However, Uptown Funk, not as funky as you would think. But the next one, Interlude, it's a very nice, it's a very nice um, and peaceful. It's very inventive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the, um, well, we just told Cheney, Father Cheney's here. And we just said, you know, one Saint Saint Bernard said, no listening or no reading the. Uh, he literally paid for uh, this <laughs> by credit card. card. <laughs> credit card. He didn't have any cash. One cent. Yeah, <laughs> the, the poor high school kid working at Second Spin uh, CD shop must That's have right. been like, "You got to be kidding me, dude! You're you're paying for <laughs> one cent CD with a with a credit card." But. Um, yeah, well, that's that is uh, Father Cheney. You said don't Father Cheney, li- don't I said, listen. I to said this. no reading the Song of Songs and no listening to Sensual Encounter by Jazz Loon after nine p.m. That's just you know house policy. That's Schloss Goebel's policy. This is a house. There are rules. There are a few rules, but there are some rules. Northwood Press is actually located in Manaqua. Manaqua. So you would think that they'd get along, but I don't know. Obviously, we've hit into something here. It's a bit of investigative journalism, I think. You know. True. Well, I have to say, um, I am f- I'm also uh, a bit fried, not jet-lagged uh, like you are, but today I finished first semester teaching. There you go. It's over. Only uh, 14 more semesters and you can think about leaving. Yeah. No, probably more than that. But Yeah, you know. that's so true. I tell my guys in class, I'm like, when we talk about life and being a priest, and I'm like, yeah, you know, when you guys are pastors, which will be before I am. True. Yeah, seriously. I'm like, you got to think about this and that kind of thing. So, but we had a great, great semester. So I taught fundamental theology, as you know, and uh, and then Mariology to the deacons. Took the deacons out for uh, beers at Old Chicago. Um, the mint porter that was highly recommended. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for that. No, that was um, Considine. You know, there are certain guys who he's gluten free. Why is he drinking that? Uh, maybe it was CJ. It was two of, two of our companion deacons, but you know it's a dangerous. You have to ask very carefully. What do you recommend? Because if uh-huh. it's like Zoe at Old Chicago oh, and she's super excited about the mint porter, guess what CJ's drinking? Agreed, mint porter. 
And you know what? It wasn't that impressive. And they were like, why are you drinking Hefeweizen? And I was like, because it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. Right? That's You drink Hefeweizen at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. You know? You don't go into the heavy stuff. These guys are pups. They got to learn about this. Know. Sustainability, you know? Right. So we had a good good semester. But the, uh, yeah, I, I just think that uh, um, it was a great, great term. But these guys, they, they knew it was like, this is like, it's like watching a rookie, you know, I don't know, come out to pitch or something. Just right. it's like he's throwing a lot of crazy pitches and throwing a couple of strikes. He's got some talent, but it's going to take some right. years to shore this thing sure. up. Sure. You know, so. But that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that's how my parish looks at me still. So they're like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really know much. But. No, that's true. But I, uh, yeah, I love, I was grateful for the guys. But I, it's funny, you know, I got I to gotta be careful what I say because I was out for um, a beer with Carl Vater. Do you know him, Dr. Carl Vater? He is uh, the next generation of philosophy professors at our seminary. Oh. He's a young guy. He's a priest? Nope. Oh. Married man, uh, did a doctorate at Great. Catholic University. Awesome guy. But That's he goes, funny. I learn a lot about the seminary from listening to the podcast. And I was like, ooh. But he said Snow Day was actually really helpful for him because as a professor, oh. he's just like, you know, laden them. This is their chance to do work. And he was like, yeah. Yeah, right. Nobody's doing work on Snow Day, so... Speaking of lay philosophy professors, um, uh, Terry Wright, doctor, mm-hmm. priest of the baptized, uh, said to me, quote, do my ears deceive me or did I hear a shout out for the Batman podcast? I never gave up hope. Good job pronouncing <laughs> Nietzsche correctly. I think uh, he should get royalties like Hoot Owl. You know? <laughs> like, we'll just give you all of our... The podcast goes bankrupt. We'll give you all of our. We'll give you all of our proceeds. stickers. Yeah, you can have all of our stickers. All of our stickers, and you can have that this random stuff here. The uh, maybe we'll keep the dinosaur coasters. I have to say though, maybe um, podcast listeners, you guys are getting more, more and more munificent, more generous. Yeah, I casually used the word fecund yesterday, and uh, the people were like, "What?" It was I was with Phil and Rachel Bartline, and they were like. Who talks like that? And I was like, okay, I got to think about the adjectives that I use, you know? But that sounds like something you would say, Munificent? Munificent? I I preached on Munificent for um, the uh, homily for, what was the last, uh, Marian? Guadalupe. No, the last... uh, Mega conception. Oh, no, All Saints. All Saints. Marian, okay. No, Assumption. Assumption. That's what it was. So it Assumption. was August. Okay. Well, it was the last Marian, Holy Day of Obligation. Yeah, wait, we didn't have an obligation yet. For, that's true. You didn't have an obligation for December 8th? December 9th. It was not Holy Day of Obligation. Uh, it was, it flipped, yeah, that's right. to a Monday this year. Yeah, we were, we were at Mount Carmel. I wasn't thinking you about know, that. You know, this is just casual priest shop talk, people, you know? Casual priest shop. Oh, dude, I have got a great. Can I? I know Father John always sends his clock for banter. You got nine minutes. We're at nine minutes. Okay. Um, So I had to call the tribunal today. I saw the. Are you familiar with the Archdiocesan Tribunal? (laughs) I've heard of it, yeah. Okay. So we get a lot of questions on the Google Hangouts. We have different comments on the Google Hangouts. You mean the Companions Google Hangouts? Companions Google Hangouts. The only people in the universe who use Google Hangouts, which is not true. We actually we had podcast listeners write in who actually use Hangouts. Sure. So I, I apologize, but I, recant of that. I said, I, I had an actual question. Right. An actual question 
Nobody, nobody responds. Knew, nobody knew the answer. Nobody know. They don't even admit that they don't know the answer. They just don't even respond. Right. So who do I call? I call the tribunal, Archdiocesan Tribunal. Now today they they were in the office, but not taking direct calls because they had to whatever. Okay. And I was like, we need to get because uh, I said to the guy, I was like, did you call the tribunal? And he said, uh, I don't know, maybe I did. I was like, did you call three zero three eight nine four eight nine nine four? And he goes. <laughs> How did you uh how did you know that number? I, like, I said I call the tribunal a lot. Because priests they have a lot of questions canonically. Right. And what do they deal with? Marriages or marriages falling apart. So I think that instead of having people like, you know, get into a rut with uh their their marriages, we just need to alert them to the fact that they should set their marriages aright, either beginning or in the middle. So it's like we could we could pull an ad on the next Denver Bronco game. And it's just like, it's like, are you having trouble in your marriage? Have you thought about getting an annulment? Call the Archdiocesan Tribunal at 303-894-8994. Do you want an annulment? Do you want to be free of your spouse? Call 303-894-8994. That's 303-894-8994. Hi, I'm Tom, and I thought that I'd be married to my spouse forever. But when she left me for the milkman, I told myself, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. So I went and got myself a lack of form annulment. How did you get that lack of form annulment? I called the Archdiocesan Tribunal at 303-894-8994. That's 303-894-8994. Be the 10th caller, and you can get a free lack of form annulment. Normally $50, but we are discounting it now for $25. 303-894-8994. Oh, my God. Yep, that would work. That would be uh I didn't think that you had that in you tonight. You you, you Lori will take your call now at 303-894-8994. <laughs> every single time I call, I mean none of them listen to the podcast, but every single time I call, I guarantee you she looks at the voice, the the caller ID and she goes, "Oh my gosh." So then I'm like, "Hey Lori, how you doing? Oh, Great boy. weekend." And she's like, "What do you want? What do you need?" Oh, no, she's God. a sweet lady. I God, like you're Lori. You're funny, man. That is ridiculous. Um, that's my next commercial. I'm gonna I'm gonna film it for um, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, convocation. Nice. You got a lot of convocation ideas. Convocation is when all the priests get together, which is um, and nobody wants to have any fun with I know, it. I know. That's this. You see, you were in the seminary. We had this thing called um, coffee commu- house community life representative. Right, prefect. Right? Yeah, prefect. So he's in charge of keeping it light and running all the social events and um we did it one time together and then you did it also mm-hmm. i did it one year you did right. it one year but you got to have the right guy but i think you're kind of like a newtum episcopum like you're just for life you know why can't i mean why can't we just at times laugh at the things that we have to deal with mm, i agree when was the last time you had somebody say i want to get married outside not in a church. I want to get married in a parking lot so my pictures look better. <laughs> do you have an answer for that? What do you tell them? Right. What if they want to get married in the parking lot of a church? Can they do that? Do they have to actually be inside? Are you allowed to marry them in the narthex instead of in the sanctuary? Are you confused? Call 303-894-8994. That's 303-894-8994. Nice. If you do call that number, just tell Lori that Father Nathan said... Who is Call. this, Father Nathan's? Yeah, no, it's it's true. So, did I mention the uh, Lori doesn't have a raspy voice? She's a sweet lady, but I do think she rolls my eye, rolls her eyes every time I call. Yeah, no, that was surprising today though, because usually some companion. I mean, between 
the whatever yeah, 12 of us exactly somebody usually has done has gone through and so that was a surprising situation that nobody nobody knew anything about it yep. i'm helpless when it comes to the canon law you guys are you guys are living the dream in the parish you know yeah living the dream um the dream. i would like to just while we're talking about shout outs real quick before we go to the topic of the day which is going to bring it it's going to be a little bit more depressing but Hopefully we're following up also. God the Destroyer with a depressing topic. With a depressing, no, it's not depressing, but it's just going to be a little, a little awkward. You know, Goebbels a little nervous about this one. Um, but pizza, or, uh, what do you call them? Peanut butter filled pretzel bites. Uh huh. The people who have been sending these to us, I don't even know who it is. I know, and the, by uh, us, he means me. Him. The first one was Lita Martinez who's a friend of Ian uh, Wintering, and I think Lita and Louis, I think Louis is your husband. I don't know. But they sent the first bin. Louis what? Louis Martinez. He was a former seminarian. Right. Really? He's, he's apparently no longer a seminarian because well, he's yeah. married to Lita. That's why I said former seminarian. You're going to meet them on January They're 11th. coming. I believe they're coming. Oh, Louis's a good kid. Nice. There you go. Nice. So thank you. They started it off, and we have been getting a slew of these things. I'm getting these kind of... He is cylinder packages. I I tried to bring something. I Listen, but the guys the guys wouldn't let me. No, they were as, like as long as as long as you keep sending the bourbon to, to Father Schloss Nathan Kobles. and the pretzel bites to him. Yeah, that's, that's actually great. very smart. Keep it that way for sure. Um, so we discovered that if certain foods are left out, because your mom's really big on this, she always has little snackies. Right on that little. They call it munch on that. Tiered. My sister and mom call it munch. Yeah. Is that not? Oh you, yeah. Your family call it munch. No. It's it's kind of a weird. Yeah. Munch. We don't really have a counter space. You gotta have, you gotta have munch available at all hours of the day. Nah. These are these yeah. are two very skinny people. I don't know. I don't think they eat meals. They just munch. Well, they have like they have like little almonds and and craisins and whatever. So like if it's out if it's out it's more easily accessible and then you don't feel bad eating it because it's kind of a proposed, you know, snack. Right, right. Apparently, if I leave things on the counter here, <laughs> I have two uh, munchers that like to do the same thing. I bought a I bought a box of currants. They're like raisins, only tartar. Gone. Currants, <laughs> gone in a day and a half. Now well, that's not munch, though. I don't care that they ate it. My question is. What does their scat look like? <laughs> if the two of them polished off, polished off a whole bag of currants and half a bag of dried apricots. No, that's not. Munch is something that's just you kind of you snack on occasionally. Those guys are voracious. They're animals. They just, they literally are all consuming. They like you it. You could put anything. You could put just rabbit meat. Styrofoam peanuts. Yeah, and they would just. Yeah. Gone. Yeah, it's like the Holocaust, so. Holocaust of food, everything just disappears. It's not sacrificed. Okay, to the topic. To the topic. Here we go. This is, uh, I, we are giving a uh, quick uh, parental advisory. Uh, we are going to be talking about the Holy Father, and uh, that usually means tensions are going to run high. Tensions are going to run high. We're going to try and do this as best as possible, which means balanced, charitable, but also truthful, right? Let's be honest here. So I just finished teaching Mariology. Mariology is? The theology of Mary, right? The Mary. Oh. <laughs> the, uh, she may be saying 
just be careful. If she keeps doing that, then we're gonna exactly we're gonna call it. We're, we're gonna switch. Ban- we're gonna in front of the ten. We're gonna switch it. to beer nuts. So, um, one of the the final that I did for the guys at the end of Mariology was I divided the course into six sections, and I said, "Come into the class, flip two cards." So the co- the course is divided topically. So, Magga conception, divine maternity, co redemptrix, assumption. Mediatrics of graces. These these Mary things. as the mother of the proletariat worker. Exactly right, and um, so they flip two cards in the final. I'm sitting in their spot. They I say pick one of the two. Speak for five minutes. Talk to me like I'm I'm brand new in RCI. I've never heard this word before. And they go boom, and they did a great job. It was really fun. Um, but one of the topics was co-redemptrix. Mary as the co-redemptrix. And um, one of the things that we talked about, because I would ask him questions after they presented, and I said, well, what do you think about the possibility of a definition of this? What do you think, pro, con? This used to be kind of a hot issue. It's not as much right now. But in the 50s, this was a big, this was a big thing. There's a lot of people pushing for this. What do you think? And we had some good conversations. Well, then one of the guys says to me, um, Father, I hate to tell you this, but um, you got to read this article. And I look, and this is all over the internet but it's this is the art the topic title that i'm reading is from crux and it says pope calls idea of declaring mary co-redemptrix quote foolishness okay and i was like "Ooh, this is gonna be tricky okay so here's the front line of the article and again this is uh, pope francis appears to flatly reject proposals in some theological circles to add quote co-redemptrix to the list of titles to the virgin mary saying the mother of jesus never took anything that belonged to her son and calling the invention of new titles and dogmas quote foolishness so the uh what happened was this is a homily that was given by the holy <coughs> father on uh the feast of our lady guadalupe thursday december 12th so this would have been a week ago this would be two weeks ago when this comes out um and so I went digging around, and I found the homily. Uh, it's only in Italian online, and um, it's it's typical uh, Pope Francis. It's not very long. It's it's brief. Um, the word foolishness is not in there. Now the the article is not lying. He just went off the cuff. So he'll have a text, and then he'll go off the cuff. Sure. So we don't actually know exactly what he said, <clears throat> but what we do know what he said is that. Um, he says, uh, just looking at this here, there's one redeemer and uh, there's, no, there's no such way that that could be compromised. So to present Mary as the, co- as the co-redemptrix is, is, he doesn't say foolish, but um, Mary is never presented as the uh, co-redemptrix. No, she's a disciple. So he keeps talking about sure. Mary as a disciple. True, okay. So, uh, and then he went off the cuff, apparently, uh, from what these reporters are saying and saying, it's foolishness to actually uh, consider this title, this definition, right? Uh, so I want to take up the question of what is the co-redemptrix. That's probably a good idea because we have a lot of people who are being talked to as if they were 25-year-old people in RCIA. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's good. So, um, again, we don't need to go into details about um, Pope Francis's style. But we can honestly say that He'll be remembered for the good things. One of the things he will not be remembered for is, I don't think anybody's going to say, the hallmark of this pontificate is doctrinal clarity. Mm-hmm. Just to say that, okay? I would agree. I don't want to be slanderous. I don't want to um, be uncharitable, but I think we could honestly say there's a lot of good things here. This is not one of them. 
this is a complicated thing. And for this to hit the media like this, uh, even if it was just an off-the-cuff comment, this is problematic. Yeah. Why? The reason is, is because Mary is the co-redemptrix, right? So it doesn't matter. The question, the question of whether she is defined as the co-redemptrix is different than the question of, is she the co-redemptrix? Mm. And so one of the things I asked the guys was I said, as they would finish presenting, those of, who flipped the card co-redemptrix, I said, um, is this Catholic teaching? Co-redemptrix? And I think there was two guys who pulled this card, and they both answered correctly, which is to say, uh, it's, it's Catholic teaching. Like, it's part of the tradition. Like sure. Mary is the co-redemptrix, but they said um, it hasn't been solemnly defined. It's not dogmatically. You don't have to believe it. Right. So it hasn't been solemnly sure. defined as this, such as, like, the Immaculate Conception or the Assumption of these things have been. Solemnly. Or the maternity of Mary. Or the divine maternity of Mary, exactly. Or, or the, the perpetual, perpetual virginity. Exactly. So there's four, right. four yeah. dogmas that have been clearly defined. So if you're hearing this and you're like, what the heck is going on here? Just a couple of kind of preliminary points that we talked about in the class. Number one, uh, dogmas are, dogmas is just the Greek word for teaching, right? Doctrine is the Latin word. Um, and uh, the church has always, since the very beginnings, um, in moments of crisis and difficulty, used propositional phrases, ontological phrases, concepts to help explain the reality and the mystery of salvation history and 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 God's self-disclosure and revelation. And oftentimes it's it's protecting a good of Jesus. Exactly. Which perpetual virginity, you can see that. Motherhood of God, you can see that. Right. So Marian dogmas, especially in the early church, were defined in order to protect the integrity of the faith. The great example of this is 431, right? Council of Ephesus. Uh-oh, there's the second one. So um, where uh, what's happening? Well, Nestorius is, divine, is uh, denying that Mary is the mother of God, but there's a, there's a Christological... He's not denying that. He's denying about the fact that whether or not Jesus was the... She was the Christ-bearer or the God-bearer. Right, so Theotokos is the word that, that's in the tradition. Right. Yeah, exactly. So... Because he's, he's trying to protect Jesus as uh, he was totally God. Right. God doesn't need a mother, so we won't say that he has a mother. Exactly. You know, what, that Mary's the mother of God. But it's a Christological problem, because Mary, Mariology is always a, is, is, is a Christological reality. That's why in the classical treatments of Mariology, you find them at the end of Christology. So the study of Christ at the bottom of that, at the end of that, so to speak, is Mariology. Um, and uh, so that's so that's that's just so you know you already lost the catching foxes guy. I know, I know. Sorry, Luke. Sorry, Gomer. Um, but I uh, so that's the first thing is just to say that uh, because for non-Catholics it it looks crazy that we have doctrine. They just think, what is this whole thing? Like, why do you need this? Why do you need this stuff? But think yeah. about the Trinity. Think about the the crisis of Arianism that happens in the first few centuries where. The divinity of Christ is denied, and the importance of certain concepts that help us articulate and kind of stabilize the church. So that's the first thing. Second thing, in terms of just preparation here to before we get into the specifics, is uh, John Henry Newman has this great line where he says, "Doctrines are never declared unless they're violated. Hmm. Doctrines are never declared unless they're violated. So you don't just we don't just popes just don't sit around and they're like, I want to leave my mark on the church." What should I define? You know, 
like what what's really about me you know how do i do that it's sure. it's it's about the the moment the culture the history the theology the what's happening to the life of the churches is moving through this particular historical moment and that's the definitions are the so to speak the walls of the playground to use hmm. gk chesterton's example mm-hmm. right and i often talk about that uh use that example they, they the studies show that when kids have playgrounds with fences they play all the way to the ends right but when there's no fence they they all huddle together in the middle and and so the walls of the playground so to speak yeah. to use Chesterton's analogy that's the doctrines of the church they, they help kind of give definition and they show parameters again only in moments when the magisterium needs to clarify this is the boundary do you know what happens if you go off the edge in terms of doctrinally? You hear a sound like this. Oh, I thought you were going into like Bowser. Well, no, that's the that's the when you jump off the edge in Mario. Uh huh. When you jump off the edge, yeah, exactly. You just you just uh you die. Yeah. And at that point, it's really helpful. Sometimes we think of dogma as like, oh, they're so mean. Why do they do that? It's like, eh, because if you go th- beyond there, you're living not just on the edge, you're falling right. away. Right. And we don't want that. So one of the things I told the guys uh, specific to the co-redemptrix is I said, is this, is this a teaching of the church? And the answer is yes. When did this first get brought up? When did it first get brought up? Co-redeemer. Well, let's start most recently, and then we'll go back into history. John Paul II referred to Mary as the co-redemptrix five times in his pontificate. That's interesting. Were they big times? No, they weren't big times, and he never he ne- he wasn't interested in making a sol- solemn definition. But he understood, quote in his words, that Mary was crucified spiritually with her crucified son. Uh huh. Mary was crucified spiritually with her crucified son. So sure. he's describing the essence. Of the co-redemptrix, right? Now, the concept of being of co-redemptrix is something that, in terms of the popes, the magisterium, it's it's not used until the last century. So Pope Pius XI uses it in 1922, uh, but the last few popes have referred to this. Um, so it's not something that was in in common usage in terms of the magisterium and the popes, but certainly it has deep. Um, deep, deep roots in the life of the tradition. So much as to say that you, if you don't want to use the word co-redemptrix, fine, but Mary is the new Eve, and that has everything to do with her participation at the cross. Hmm. I emailed Father Evan Coop and Father Austin Lickey, Father Austin who listens, shout out, thank you for the email back. It was great to just kind of banter a bit on this together Oh, today. so you responded to your question. Father Austin? That must be nice. Oh, we're going to bring the... Another, gonna, chi- gonna, another chilly evening in Schloss Goebbels. I'm sorry, I don't know your canon law questions, and I know you secretly want to call Lori, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what did Austin say? Well, he had a couple things to say, but we'll, uh, we'll leave that for... Mm. We'll leave that for the, you know... The for communal, the, for the, the annals of podcast lore. Yeah, exactly. So, um, But Father, Father Evan's whole project is he's doing a doctorate on... Mary's bridal cooperation at the cross in the thought of Matthias Shaban, hmm. who's a 19th century theologian. Now, what's interesting about that is that Shaban himself, great mind, one of the greatest of the 19th century, patristic renewal, uh-huh, uh-huh. amazing. 
he had reservations about the the phrase co-redemptress. Sure. Okay. So he wasn't crazy about that phrase. Yeah. But he he undoubtedly acknowledged the fact that Mary is participating in the redemption of Christ in a singular and unique way. And so when you study the fathers of the church and you go back, you realize that there it all begins, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, but this typology of what we call the new Eve, right? So if you're ever talking to Protestants who don't like Mary or just get weirded out by the whole Mary thing, you just, just, just take them down this line. Just say, okay, so... Paul tells us in Romans and in 1 Corinthians that Jesus is the new Adam, right? He's the new Adam. So that's typology, that Adam is a, is a prefigurement, a type of, of Christ. So who's the new Eve? That's the question, right? So Justin Martyr and then Irenaeus help us to formulate the new Eve is Mary. Hmm. And so you have this kind of parallel thing happening in the fathers of the church. One thing is they're moving towards the, this concept of the importance of Mary's maternity. And then you also have this typology that Mary is the new Eve. And those are the two kind of things that tie together. If you're studying Mariology, some people are super bored at this point, but those of you who are, are interested, those are the two kind of patristic kind of patterns, so to speak, the two paths. And they kind of coincide and they draw and they're drawn together in different moments but ultimately, Mary's typology as the new Eve is to say that Mary was not just this kind of tool for making Jesus and then discarded. Sure. Right? Husk. Husk. She wasn't just the husk. And uh, that because Jesus, the, and, and I hammered this into my guys in, in fundamental theology, they, if they're listening to this, if Colm and Jeff, Jeffrey from the back row, Kansas City, Kansas boys are listening to this, they're laughing right now because... They could say on a second, what is the key to salvation history? What is the key to revelation? The redemptive incarnation of the God-man. So the redemption, Jesus at the cross, Easter, and the incarnation, Christmas, are one mystery. Mm -hmm. And you can only understand Mary if you see those two as one mystery, right? The redemption and the incarnation, which means that Mary is the mother of Jesus, but then also she's the mother of the redemptive incarnation, which means that her motherhood is extended and in this typological form is the new Eve. She stands as the church, as the bridal helpmate, as the feminine complement to Christ on the cross, receiving entirely his thing, his sacrifice, and participating in it in a created form. That's pretty sweet. So you're saying that humanity participates in the redemption of humanity. Absolutely. So much so that uh, Suarez, who's a um, 17th century scholastic, will s- describe that because Mary gave Jesus her his humanity, that she actually has a place in the hypostatic order. So the hypostatic union is the union of the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And Suarez will say, she actually she's not she, she's not in the hypostatic union. That's just Jesus, but she has a place in the hypostatic order. So she's she has a very she has a pretty different role than like you or me or my mom and right. sister eating munch right now. I love them, you know. Sure. But no offense to eating munch, but but it's just Mary's a little different. And as Catholics, we kind of intuitively know that. That because she was the mother of God, that that extended into the cross and that she remains the mother, but she's also the church in that moment. She's also the bride of Christ. She's also the, the Christ in his divinity. Sure. She's also fulfilling the role of Eve. And when you when you take that out, what you get is a Christianity without femininity. 
And that's the modern world. That's the post Protest the post Reformation Protestant world. It's yeah. just it's not a feminine reality anymore. That Mary expresses all of creation, and as Saint Thomas Aquinas tells us, Mary her fiat was on behalf of all of creation, all of humanity. Her fiat was on behalf of us. Her fiat stands at the heart of the church. That every time that you and I or anybody receives Christ in the Eucharist doesn't do so completely or isn't fully, Mary completes that reception. And that's what we understand as Catholics. That's why Mary is not just this kind of this kind of appendix to Christ, or as unfortunately Pope Francis says, is, is reminding us she doesn't d- take anything away from Christ. And it's like, well, that's that's a crazy that's a that's a complicated way of thinking of it. Mary doesn't take anything away from Christ, of course, but Jesus wanted her participation, and he and he drew her in. So whether you call her the co-redemptrix or not, not as important. But that's probably the best word we have in terms of the tradition. So with the fathers of the church, the bridal aspect, this kind of new Eve thing, is there, but it doesn't really get fleshed out into the medieval period. So you see it in Ignatius of Antioch, Melito of Sardis, Ambrose. But then you got to get into the medievals where they start to really take the Song of Songs and they start to really meditate on the bridal mystery, which is the how is the bride of Christ relating to Jesus at the moment of consummation, which is the cross, right? I see your eyes going in the back of your head. So well, I, I promise mean, I'll move I, on this question. I mean, I, I was kind of thinking like I was okay allowing Mary to be co-redeemer in the same way that I would be considered a collaborator with Christ in the redemption of the world. It's like you pretty much do all the heavy lifting, but I have some part to play. And it's not that I'm totally needed, but in fact, like, uh, you allow for me to kind of help, you know, like in when you, your dad was building something and you went and got him tools and he didn't really need you to do it, but absolutely like, sure. But like, that's not what we're saying in terms of Mary, because she would be crucial if, if you're saying Adam and Eve, then there really is two parts so co is 50 50 right instead of collaboration which is it can be like one percent 99 percent right so you're in that regard you're kind of saying mary has a majority stake in the redemption from humanity's side of our participation yeah and i think okay yeah i'd be fine with that but again but it, it, to we what have degree? To, we have to locate that. And again, this is why I, I think if I'm going to give a charitable read to what Pope Francis is in, in, instinctively reacting against, it's to say this is a very complicated f- word that really freaks people out. Sure. And especially if you're thinking about the peripheries and you're thinking about non-Catholics and you're thinking about people on the fringe, why would we use this word? Right. I understand that. But if you if you recognize the redemption of Christ as intimately connected to the incarnation. And then you see in the incarnation, God's choice, fitting choice, to use one human person's freedom in order to affect that. Literally, the incarnation does not happen without Mary's consent. Why do we, if if it's intimately tied to the redemption, as it was with all the fathers of the church, the medievals, everything, why would we think that the cross would happen without some kind of created... Um, ascent, some kind of compliment. Sure. Jesus did not want to accomplish the world without the participation of humanity. 
He didn't want to do it without human freedom. And he did that in the incarnation and the redemption. And the co-redemptrix is the, is the, is the counterpart that articulates and expresses the way that Mary worked within the redemption of Christ, but in a created participation way. So you can say 50-50, but it's really, it's also, in terms of creation and non-creation divinity, it's, she's nothing. Well, it's the same way. It's the same way of, I asked the same question of the people uh, on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception last year. I said, what came first, Jesus or Mary? And then people are like, ah, oh, Mary. It's like, eh, in the order of time, Mary. Right. In the order of action, Jesus. Right. Because the effects of Jesus' cross and resurrection have bearing on Mary's immaculate conception. But how could that happen if Mary wasn't born, uh, you know, if Mary wasn't born before Mary was born before Jesus, how could Jesus have an effect on Mary's life? And then I said, okay, well, really it's the question of what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. What's the answer? God. Right. <laughs> God came first. God comes before right. the chicken and the egg. Right. You were trying to figure out which one's first, which one has priority. The reality is God created both of them, so God supersedes all of it, and Jesus is God. Therefore, he can play by his own rules, and therefore apply the fruits of his redemption to his own mother before the redemption is accomplished, because by his providential vision, he already knows that it will be accomplished. So in a way, like, the redemption of Mary is already because he knows that she will be the one that allows for him to take humanity and give it on the cross, because without humanity, he can't die. Right on. And I think the, the I would have got a bene probatus in yes, his uh, oral final, which is Latin for good try. Now you would have done very well in that regard. Yeah, I, I think the key is if if you're listening to this and you're saying, "All right, I'm a bit lost right now." The key is whenever we talk about jazz Mary, loon, folks. Right, whenever we think about Mary and jazz loon, no, it's to say we have to begin always in the divine maternity. Hmm. Mary's privileges existed yeah. for her singular. And specific mission, which was to to bear Christ, to yeah. be the mother of God. Hmm. Everything before Immaculate Conception, Perpetual Virginity, everything after Co-Redemptrix, Assumption, Mediatrix of Grace, all these things, they all centralize on this one fundamental thing. And and my, I was so proud of my guys because they, they drew this up, they got this down, and I'm like, yes, they're going to be good Mariologists out there. Um, but it all has to be centered on the Christological reality the specific fact of Mary is her maternity, and it's a mission, and it's specific because it is the maternity of God. And so all of that ties into everything, the way that we understand how grace flows into the world, it's through a maternity. Mary's maternity within the church, which is a perichoresis, my doctorate. We're not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that right now. But if I can just say two, la- good. two last points. But I might, you know. When the medievals started meditating on this reality— um, and again, in the East, this doesn't develop as much, but in the in the Western Church, this develops. Uh, what they're looking at, and especially in the 12th century, 11th, 12th century, this is where this really gets developed. Um, and Bernard is a great example, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, a great example of this. And he says, he's looking on and meditating on the what he calls the compasio of Mary, hmm. that she, compa- she had compassion 
at the foot of the cross. And compassion just means? Co-suffering. Right. She suffered with Jesus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's something about the nature of human compassion that is the co-redemptrix. So the word needs to be understood in light of compassion in its deepest etymological sense, cum passio, suffering with, that Mary actually enters in mm. to the mystery of Christ's suffering in the same sense that, you know, when my dad had a stroke and you guys drove down from Estes Park because I was in Rome and you were with them, you entered into the suffering of my family. That wasn't extrinsic. That wasn't separated from that. Sure. You came into our life and you walked with it. And when, when Father Matt Book's dad died, and I, I, was, I wasn't here, but you guys were at the bedside giving him the apostolic pardon, you entered into the suffering and that's what compassion is. True, but I would say that we entered into it in a, in a different way, an ancillary way. The one who who suffered it most acutely was his was the spouse. Right. So Mary and Joanne, your mom and Joanne Book are the ones who experienced it in a much deeper way and in that way analogously which that's where I think that the word that we actually need to incorporate into this, you know, debate. Analogously, we would say Our Lady suffered on the cross with Christ. Right. Not literally, but in a, a, a real way and in a way that was different and similar, uh, we can say that she was winning, redeeming souls back for Christ. Right. And it doesn't take away from his singular, right. universal, mm. complete, and perfect redemption of the world to say that he wanted her drawn into it. Sure. In, the, in the same sense, you know, that he would use us um, to help participate in somebody's redemption. Well, I, and I think... I, th hopefully that's happened. I think that's the, that's the location of John and Mary Magdalene at the cross versus Mary, the mother of Jesus, right. standing at the foot of his cross. And, and for us as Catholics, we firmly hold that Mary's participation in the cross of Jesus is singular. It's just unique. Yeah. And that's why this phrase, co-redemptrix, which our boy Arnold of Chart in the year 15... What is his name? 1156. Arnold of what? Chart's. Chart. Okay. Chart. Just, just making sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Is the first that's unfortunate formal exposition of the doctrine of Mary's co-redemptrix at Calvary, right? He's the first one to give an explicit in the 12th century. Your boy Arnold, okay? Arnold, where's Arnold? Hey Arnold, that was the show in the 90s. Hey Arnold, it wasn't that good of a show. Hey Arthur, no, not Arthur. Hey Arnold, that is no, no. All right, I think that was before us, but others later on. Here's some other names for you: Saint Bridget of Sweden, John Towler. St. Catherine of Siena, right? 14th century saints, huh. all talking about Mary as the co-redemptrix, okay? Lastly, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So Mary's co-redemptrix is, uh, is a complex phrase that kind of freaks people out. But basically what it means is that Mary is the beloved associate of Christ. That's a good way of, another way of putting it. She's the beloved... Assistant to the regional manager <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> She's the companion, right? This is yeah, in the in the St. Paul and the rule, Evan Coop. He, you know, it's it's yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. So she is the companion, the beloved associate of Christ, 
Uh, her compassion is distinct and unique. But again, we don't just define things because we think that's super cool and we want to do that and we want to leave our mark on history, right? So like we said, the, the reason why you define things, they've been violated or it's for the particular um, growth of the Christian people at this time. And there's an article that, that I read with the guys that basically said there's three elements to the definition, right, that would clarify like kind of criteria for defining something such as the co-redemptics. Number one, um, there has to be a, like the faithful have to desire it and there has to be a census fidelity. So there has to be people saying, we need this, we want this, this mm-hmm. is important. Number two, there has to be papal impetus. Not going to happen right now. All right. And number three, there has to be kind of this kind of theological contribution and continuation of this. So I, I, I'll I don't, le- yeah, and I would say it's not crucial to the faithful right now that they receive this definition. I, agree. I think it would just confuse them. I think this may confuse them still, but... Uh, I, I'll agree. I agree with that in one sense. And then in another sense, I'll say this. Um, we have yet to really reflect deeply on why the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption were defined. Yep. And... and okay. And that's important because something... And I, and I actually think that they were... I think that something has of the Marian heart of the church has been violated in modernity. And I think that's why they were defined. I don't know if we've really reflected on that enough. I, In my opinion, and I hope Father Evan Coop would agree with me on this, though he doesn't listen to the podcast, so maybe Father Austin, you can chat this up over Lord's Day in Rome. It seems to me that the co-redemptrix is kind of a missing link between the Assumption and the Immaculate Conception. There's something there. Mary at the cross. So I'm not saying, yeah, we need another Marian definition because as Balthazar says he interprets you know um, nothing nothing uh, there's never enough of Mary right you remember that numquam satis right Bernard yeah exactly and he says that's qualitative not quantitative so it's not that we need more right. we don't we need more things that's not what I'm saying but I I do think that Mary's co-redemptions reveals something about the nature of how Christians participate in the redemption of Christ and how God desires our participation. And I think that that needs more reflection. And I'm not saying we should do this. And I'm not condemning the Pope, though I think this is this was kind of crazy and, and unsettling for my guys. Um, but we're going there. Final thought, and then I'm going to conclude. I, I'm big on Mary right now. I he's, would He's big on Mary right now, folks. Big on Mary right now. I would say um, do not be afraid to take her into your home. That would well be my encouragement. Well said. Well, we'll close with a line from Cardinal Rat at the time Cardinal Ratzinger, later mm-hmm. Pope Benedict, a homily he gave in Rome on September eighteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Okay, Father Dan Hess of the Diocese of Cincinnati. Oh, so he's hanging with John Leindecker right now, maybe. Um, sent me this line, and this is what I love. This kind of came up in conversation over lunch when I was in Rome, and I found this. This is from last April, last spring, but he he. This is Ratzinger reflecting on the phrase from John. Woman, behold your son. Disciple, behold your mother. Mm-hmm. He says, these are the words, the document on which the church is founded. Let us say one of the fundamental statements in the document in which Jesus founded the church and established his covenant with her. They make clear the meaning of church and the manner in which God established the covenant. Here he goes. And this is what's money right here. Her first yes was to the son 
that God willed to bestow on her and to the will of God that required her total and mysterious acquiescence to his incomprehensible and great design. So the first yes was to the son. Here we go. But now in the hour of the cross, in the hour of the cross, in the hour of Jesus Christ, she must say her yes anew and in an even greater dimension. It is now a yes to a new and different son who becomes through her the same son. It is a yes in this new son to all the sons and daughters that will be hers throughout all history. Hmm. It is a yes to whatever he may ask her to do for them for the rest of history. The church has her foundation in this yes of Mary that reaches into all history and vice versa. The Lord founded the church by the very fact of giving his mother to the disciple. He gives us a mother, his mother. It is only in this gift that we understand what the church is. The church is not a machine, a collection of bureaucrats, of administrators, of events. This is the church that we are called into the family of Jesus Christ and in, and so into a community of love with him. Boom. Hmm. So Mary's fiat at the foot of the cross is her yes to receive Father Nathan Goebel, Father John Neppel, everybody who's listening to this podcast, yeah. into her own. Others. Mary's yeah. fiat drawing us into the church. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the essence of what it means for her to be co-redemptrix. Amen. I don't, I don't feel like you... We're as uh, combative as I think you could have been yeah. with uh, our sovereign pontiff, so I'm grateful for that. All right. Well, let's go to shout-outs. Let's go to the shout-outs. I first want to f- go back to um, an event that happened a couple weeks ago. You're going to love this. Here we Brian go. Mathay, your favorite Lutheran, comes yep. up for communion. Yep. And I'm standing next to my dad. I'm holding the Saborium. Did uh-huh. I tell you this? No. No? You're going to love this. I'm going to love Pay this. attention. I'm going to love this. So Brian Mathay, my dad notoriously tries to give him communion um, on accident. And uh, instead today he just looks up at him. This is like a month ago. Uh-huh. And he gives him the old man slap on the cheek. He just gives him a pops him right on the cheek. He slaps him on the face and just moves him on. It was like one of the funniest things. I was like, Dad, what? You're so random. But you know how it's like kind of the endearing old man kind of slap yeah. on the slap on the Good cheek. Good to see a little, yeah, he little just gave chap. Him a, I was like, that's a that's a new approach to ecumenism right there. So shout out to my dad. Thanks for doing Your that. Your dad Brian. just confirmed him. Yep. There you go. All right. I want to give a shout out to Uncle Vinny, who's listening. Andrew Polito's uncle. Uncle Vinny listens to the podcast. Really? This is a total surprise, so hopefully he hears it and uh and uh yeah, is surprised. And then lastly, I wanna say, uh Dan Sovacool, you are the man. You remember Dan? Dan is the man. Dan's the man. Dan's moving to Portugal. Oh, Dan's moving to Portugal. Let's go. Right Buffalo. when, right when the Let's Buffalo, go Buffalo, right when the Sabers get good, yeah, he's right. moving. No, are you kidding me? Jack Eichel is the man. He is the man. Yeah, he is. Yep. So Dan and I went to a hockey game uh, last week. You took Goebel out three years ago. I'm sorry that Father Nathan has not responded to your emails for the last couple years, but uh, you have a great love of priests. You have an amazing story. Um, going out for we went to the Rhine house afterwards and just just sharing life with you we're going to miss you he's moving to Portugal um, with his uh, beautiful Irish wife and we wish you uh, the very best keep listening to the podcast and we'll see you in Fatima he's going to live 25 minutes from Fatima oh wow so we got friends in Portugal now sweet so Dan thanks again I uh, don't have a shout out uh, I 
literally. Unless, okay, all of the people that were on the pilgrimage. All of the people. All the people on our pilgrimage. Except, uh, shout out to the blue bus, not to the red bus. Red bus was Father Matt Book's bus. Blue bus was my bus. Why don't you give Matt Book a shout out? He has never gotten a shout out in 10 years. No. He's got to listen. <laughs> He's got to listen. The guy's... No, he did fine. He was it was great to have Father Matt book, but um, yeah, I don't think we had very many listeners of the podcast on our bus, but we do now. Uh, I know that Mary Glenn uh, is a oh, listener. Mary Glenn, Eileen Glenn, who picked up Jason Wunsch's poor body up. That's the side true. Of the road yeah, like crashed. the Good Samaritan. That was um, the other ones uh, to um, Harry and Shirley Plummer. Harry and Shirley. Did you notice that his no. name is Harry Plummer? Okay. Anyways, Do, would you rather uh, be Harry Plummer or um, Seymour Ar- Arnold of Shart? Uh, good point. Um, and uh, yeah, Blue Bus, Blue Bus forever. I, yeah, I, I can't do it right. You're now. lame. All right, it's almost an hour. Let's call this thing. It's almost an hour, folks. I got him to about forty-five minutes, and then he bonked. He, he went it's, anaerobic. It's Six a.m. People, I know. It's 6 a.m. We do this because we love you. <laughs> we do this because we love but you. But lastly, if you have any tribunal needs, you need to call. 303-894-8994. Don't wait. Call now. Please. Be the fifth caller, and we will throw in a personalized MC form where you will be able to uh, get your own six-month or less baptismal certificate emailed back to you with annotations. 303-894-8994. That's 303-894-8994. GatheringStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Spatch- Merry Christmas. Spatula City. Yeah, this is coming out on Christmas. Uh, the day after. The 26th. Happy Feast of St. Steve. Yeah. We'll see you in the new I'm year. sorry. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, Ron. Happy